quarter three movie podcast for the movie Cold in July. My name is Christian Morosky, and I'm joined here, as I am every here, by Kelly Wand. Kelly Wand, do you have a tagline for the Cold in July movie we just watched this week? Uh, it's a movie about characters who make decisions too slowly. <laughs> That's their Achilles heel. They all have in common. All right, good. I'm glad that... Uh, Slow build. Things, All right, good. Uh, one of the things I'm very, very happy about is that I've been sitting around after watching uh, the movie uh, a couple of times this week and wondering, uh, is somebody going to tell me what this title means? And you just did. I did? Yeah, I think you did. Wait, you I watched did. it twice? Well, yeah. Huh. But I'm glad that you told me what the title means. I did? Yes, you did. Just Wait, now. you watched it twice? Uh, yes, I did, but and I'm glad you told me what the title means. Wait, so tell me about it. <laughs> Wait, Cold in <laughs> July means they move too slowly. They take make decisions too you slowly. Just, I'm, I'm latching on to what you just said, that it's about characters who make their decisions too slowly, as as that's what the title means. That's what because I'm latching on to. it's too cold in July. Yeah. Oh, I see. Okay, I get it. Right. Well, I don't, but I'm very, very happy that you told me that. It made me very happy. Uh, so What's anyway. the title? Speaking of titles, uh, Kelly, um, every week for the last several weeks, we've done this thing. (laughs) That's precise. It is very precise. uh, Where you do something with an IMDb synopsis. What is that thing that you do, Kelly Wand? I just read it aloud, and then you have to guess what movie it is. And they're really challenging. (laughs) That's the consistent pattern. Uh (laughs) I was going to say, last week we chose one based on the... uh, on the choices of a specific uh, listener named Tom Chick, uh, this oh, yeah. I have I have no idea what or how or where or what your criterion was for choosing the IMDb synopsis. Um, did Tom, you choose it yourself? What what happened? I did pick this one. Now I don't trust anyone else because it seems like because Tom picked that one and I liked it and then I read it and then he was annoyed at us for using it. Oh, use that. Ugh. That's exactly what we wanted, I think. So, yeah, we win. That's yeah. the advantage. Like, we can make Tom insane in new ways. And that's what it's all about. Is that what you're going to say? Oh, I was, I was, what I was going to say is, if you're going to thrust Vortex of Love upon us, then, then you will reap the Vortex. This week's IMDb Opsis is, Amidst a Territorial Gang War... Let's see, I'm going to narrow it down now. A sophisticated alien hunter stalks the citizens of Los Angeles, and the only man between him and his prey is veteran LAPD officer Lieutenant Mike Harrigan. That's from the motion picture, uh, science fiction adventure motion picture, uh, Predator 2. Yeah. Does Predator 2 have any sort of... uh... Gave it away with Mike Harrigan. Yeah, Mike Harrigan clearly does. Different kind of jungle. What were you going to ask? I thought you were going to say Murtaugh, and if you had said Murtaugh, no, and it was Lethal Weapon too. It's weird because he's getting too old for this shit in the first Lethal Weapon, but then Predator Two is way after that in his career, but he doesn't say that, even though it's the future, so he's even older in the movie. Yeah, he's the same character, but still lieutenant. I also saw Gone Girl. Did you see that movie this weekend? What the what? When did you see Gone Girl? How did that happen? I just found time. To see a movie. Wait, you found time to see two movies in one week? Okay, this one time. Because I've been locked in. It's a long story. You went to see God Girl. Holy What's cats, I didn't know you did that. I wanted to surprise you and impress you. Well, you just did. Wait, what? Did you I, see it? I no, I'm so, I'm so frustrated. You know, a bunch of friends of mine went to see it Sunday afternoon. I couldn't because I was driving back right, to Los Angeles from the Bay Area. And they were all like, hey, come see Gone Girl with us. And I couldn't do it. Uh, and we obviously didn't do it last week. Because it's longer than your drive, by the way. was. <laughs> so <laughs> so what? Did you like it? What? what? Uh, the first hour is the worst movie I've ever seen. And the next two hours are the best movie I've ever seen. What? That's my review of it. All right. Fair enough. Are you going to see it? 
Well, now I will definitely see the first hour. Or maybe, wait, Mm -hmm. maybe I'll see the second hour. Tell me about it. It's (laughs) kind of like that, but without the jokes. Is it really three hours, or did it just feel like that? I thought it was three hours, and I go, there's no way, and then I read it was three hours. Hmm. And it was kind of like you and um, Cold July, because like, I talked to people who'd like read the book multiple times. Like, I didn't like that book. And then they reread it and still didn't like it. And then they saw the movie and went, yeah, I'm pretty sure I don't like it. So it's kind of like Star Wars people, as I call them. Just oh, like, you know, you got to see every single thing, every Star Wars piece of merchandise, even though it's jumped the shark like 30 years ago. What were you going to say? Question. Uh, well, I was just going to ask you what the last David Fincher that you liked was. Um, Fight Club. What was after? Oh yeah, wait, no wait. I thought he made the counselor for half a second. What's between Fight Club and Girl with the Dragon Tattoo? What am I forgetting? <laughs> Robert, I'm forgetting Benjamin Button. Sadly. <laughs> what? No, come on. Did you make something else good? Uh, I'm sure. I'm he getting did. something good. Well, he made Panic Room. I don't know when that happened. Uh, he made Benjamin Button. I can't be bothered to find out other things. He made Seven. Um, but I was, I, you know, whenever I see his name appended to something, I, you know, I, I thought when we were thinking about what movie we were going to see last week, I thought, well, Gone Girl would be likely. Yeah. But it's there's weird. nothing. It's where Ben Affleck keeps making movies with the word gone in the title that are totally yeah. related. Yeah. But one's Boston and one's New York. What were you going to say? Three well, hours? What I was going to actually say is that this week we saw Cold oh, yeah. July. Do you remember that? Uh-huh. All right. Well, this week we saw Cold in July, a 2014 crime thriller drama movie about, um, yeah, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to say anything else. You just go see it. Uh, it was directed by Jim Mickle. It was written by Nick DiMicci, based on the novel of the same name by Joe R. Lansdale. <laughs> yeah. And also, uh, there's this weird thing that happens where Jim Mickle is given a screenplay credit later on, for some reason. So, anyway, uh, it stars Michael C. Hall, Don Johnson, Sam oh. Shepard, <laughs> Vanessa Hall, Which... and Lanny... Clarity. <laughs> Just for safety. Yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, now you love Postman. Uh, Cold in July is rated R for disturbing bloody violence, language, <laughs> and some sexuality slash nudity. Uh, what? I know. I knew you would say that. Um... Uh, Kelly Wan, do you care to guess what the Rotten Critic uh, rating for this movie is? <laughs> uh, don't you need to break down what the difference is between the two? Sure. Rotten Critic is the percentage of uh, critic reviews that are positive. So this is right. this is the percentage of critic reviews that are positive on Rotten Critics. Uh, I'm sorry, Rotten Tomatoes. What do you think uh, is the Rotten Tomatoes percentage of critics' reviews that are positive? Well, if we're critics, doesn't that affect what my guess would be? Like, am I yeah, affecting yeah, absolutely. Guess with the guess? They don't, they don't include us, but we can certainly include uh-huh. us in our own guesses. Uh, yes, sixty-three. Ah, uh, Kelly, what? I don't. Okay, seventy-four, fifty-two. It, it is. It I just is have to 80, guess. It is eighty-five percent. Eighty-five percent. I think I was thinking a Gone Girl. That's right. <laughs> Very well done. Although that so anyway, uh, the Metacritic, which is the average of ratings uh, from various reviews, gives <laughs> Cold in July. I know. I'm trying to do the pattern. Various. Um, the, from various reviews, the the uh, the rating is 73 out of 100. Wow. That's quite a differential. Well, yeah. 85 to 73. Hello. Yeah. That's a 12-point spread. Yeah, that, that nullifies... Almost half the opinions. It's certainly not the inversion that you usually look for. No, not at this, uh, not this late in the season. Not at this juncture, no. So domestic box office. Usually we just dismiss that 
for this kind of movie. It's a it's a small movie. It made about four hundred thousand um, dollars, but it was very very small release, so we don't really even consider it. I mean, uh, this this week's box office had gone. Well, the big the big story this week was that Gone Girl barely edged out Ma- Annabelle, and that number three was Equalizer. So, um, so whatever whatever uh, oh, Cold July. What'd you say? Annabelle did really well. Annabelle almost beat Gone Girl for number one. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. That's weird to me. A spinoff for The Conjuring almost beat Gone but Girl. Was it- almost beat uh, Ben Affleck movie. The it was con girl, huh? <laughs> Conjure girl. Um, so anyway, uh, the domestic box office was it, you know was fine for this movie for what it is. It's a very small movie, cold in July, uh, more of a, a movie that shows up at film festivals, and then folks like us who care about really cool independent movies start to talk about it. Um, so, but you can't really get a domestic box office out of it. But uh, but anyway. Contrary uh, to the title, and the title's not a reference to its box office. That's not yeah. what it means. It means what I said earlier in the tagline. Right. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah, it actually, you're right. It's just going to take people a while to decide to see it. Very good. What? Like that. Oh. What? Huh? <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> anyway, Kelly. Oh, yeah. Uh, cast. So, uh, yeah, we're doing a podcast. So, um uh, uh, the only thing I could come up with for what you might do next, which would be to tell everybody. Oh, oh, let me just warn everybody. And I forgot to do this last week. Something that Tom is always awesome about is, uh, up till now we have not given any spoilers going forward. It is spoiler free season. So, uh, Wait, what? It means it's spoiler season. Yeah. Spoiler yeah. free season. Oh yeah. I'm sorry. I'm spoiler free season just ended and now it's spoiler season. Very good point. Very good point. It is. It's spoiler season. It's uh, spoiler season. <laughs> for dudes who put their fingers in their ears during trailers, it is spoiler season. So, um, so put on your your vests that have bright orange on them because we're going to have spoilers. Because Kelly Wan is about to give an opsis. I have no idea what it's called. The best thing I can come up with was copsis. So Kelly Wan, what do you? What would you call this thing? The cold and jalopsis. <laughs> All right, it's a terrifying story of H.P. Lovecraft. <laughs> All right, very very good. So take it away, dude. Okay, I guess I'll just read the synopsis here. What the dingus? You're not going to believe it, but Tom just smashed silently through my second story window, and now he's grabbing away the mic while he farts in my face. Please send. He- Hey, America and parts of New England. It's me, uncompromising television actor Tom Chick. I just drank a barrel of cider, but more importantly. Listening to last week's train wreck was fucking excruciating. So I thought I'd stop by the recording studios here just outside Bakersfield and do a little inter-nelebrity damage control, eh? First off, I was wrong about Halo 4 and hereby wish to amend me rating to a random number. Also, contrary to what I wrote in the Equalizer thread, I like seeing Sheila's get strangled. Now here's an opsis I wrote for the motion picture Cold in July. <laughs> One <laughs> second. At least tell he wants. What, Dingus? Nothing, go ahead. Uh, he's deleting mine. I didn't write anything. Shush, Kelly Wan, magic time! Oh, you want me to read what you wrote? Okay. Um, Dexter's asleep with his Sheila. Smash cut to a baby in peril. A dingo? Worse, a person. Dexter cocks his firearm. His adversary confronts him in a dramatic shot. Dexter says something like, Don't move, intruder. But the man misunderstands and shines his flashlight in Dexter's face. Dexter's wife comes up and shouts in his ear, Flashlight! This makes Dexter jump and shoot the intruder through his mask's eye hole. When they take off the mask, his bloody eyes shot. They lean over him. Dexter says something like, Try not to move, intruder. Then their kid shouts, Why is there a bullet hole in me finger painting? That makes him jump again and shoot the man's eyes some more. Then the clock strikes 12 and they shoot him again 12 times. Now all the townspeople are scared of Dexter. <laughs> Although technically, they should have his wife and his clock. The kid's still there the next morning when they're cleaning up all the blood, and he says, hey, wouldn't just getting a new couch be cheaper? 
they're his parents, so they say something like, yeah, all right, just go do your homework. We're uh, trying to have sex in here or whatever. And the kid says something like, I'm too young to be in school yet. Then the chief of police comes in and stands in the middle of the blood they're trying to scrub. And he says something like, don't worry, Mr. Harrelson, we're going to catch whoever did this. But Dexter says, well, I did this. The sheriff says, see, by the way, the kid's dad, Sam Shepard, Tom spelled Sam with a silent Sam Shepard. Man's a psychotic killer, just got out on parole. If I were you, I'd talk to someone about getting police protection. Maybe also, just to be safe, some electrified bars on the child's crib. Then he stubs his cigarette out on Dexter's hand. Texas. This morning, Dexter gets a phone message that's just static. So he takes his answering machine to the phone company, but they tell him basically, nothing we can do, eh? Sam Shepard's on parole. The sheriff drives him to the kid's funeral. Sam Shepard's there in another dramatic shot. Dexter says, hey, sorry I shot your kid there. He was wearing a mask. Thought he was me wife or child. But Sam Shepard's cigarette lighter doesn't work. Then he says... (laughs) See? Yes, Tom. Then he says, you killed me, son. Now it's me turn. And he hands him a teddy bear full of bullets. Dexter turns around and asks the sheriff, doesn't seem legal, eh? But the sheriff says, what you want me to do? Can't arrest him for giving you free bullets. Fact, have to write you citation for bringing a teddy bear to a funeral. That's disrespectful. Then he stamps out the bear on Dexter's hand. Dexter says something like, yes. Then the chief says, me friend in special forces, maybe you could put him up for the night till this rain blows over or whatever. Sorry. Dexter drives home without answering. When he gets there, the body of the special forces fellow is getting taken out in a body bag. (laughs) (laughs) Tom's kind of good. Right. A little surprised. His wife says, yeah, he got shot on the new couch and the new painting. Guess we got to go back to Osh. (laughs) The toilet flushes. The chief comes out coughing and burning a match. He says, yeah, the men swept the house earlier for intruders, but forgot to check the kid's room. Luckily, he just stared at your kid, killed me special forces friend. Pretty sure he's in Mexico by now. Behind him, Sam Shepard clicks his lighter at him and jumps out the window. They arrest him <laughs> for wasting everybody's time and also the murder. Later, they drive Dexter down to the police station, take him into the morgue, and raise his sheet. Dexter says, yes, that's me new couch. But he says it in a southern accent. <laughs> Fucking lazy Tom. Then he sees a wanted poster of a man. The name under it, Sam Shepard's son. Dexter says, hey, he's wearing a different mask in this sketch. (laughs) They tell him he's imagining things and to go home. That night, Dexter drives out to some train tracks to ruminate on the justice system. Instead, he sees the chief of police and another special forces friend inject Sam Shepard with Fresca and tie him to some railroad tracks. Dexter waits till the train comes, then saves Sam Shepard, ties him to a cabin, and says, I didn't kill your son. <laughs> Damn you, Tom, you genius. <laughs> Sorry. Which part got you? Just curious. You got me a fresco, I think. Um. <laughs> That was a long time ago. Yep. Dexter waits till the train comes, saves Sam Shepard, ties him to a cabin, and says, I didn't kill your son, unless you have two. Sam Shepard says, everybody tells me that. I think I'm drunk. Dexter says, right. They buy shovels and dig up a body, but unfortunately they damage the corpse's fingertips with their shovels? (laughs) No, Tom. (sighs) Sam Shepard says, my son is someone else. This is somebody from a mafia trial. Dexter says, oh, well, uh, should we tell the FBI or at least rebury it or dig up the rest of the graveyard? But Sam Shepard says, no, I'm calling Don Johnson. (laughs) That's your character. Oh, wait, no, it's not. Disregard. How dare you? How dare you? You're not him. I was wrong. 
Together they meet Don Johnston and go drinking. Then they stake out a driveway and move into a pig farm and watch a baseball training film and shoot bottles. Sam Shepard says, I didn't know my son was this bad. Just between us, he takes after his mother. Let's kill him and whoever's son his friend is making these poorly acted videos. Don Johnston tells Dexter, by the way, me and Sam here were in Korea together, but not special forces. Dexter's wife picks him up, but then he drives back to the pig farm. Women. Oh, my God. I'm just reading what Tom wrote. I understand. I understand. Since he's the family man of the group, they send him into an adult video store, but only to arouse suspicion. Damn you, Tom. (laughs) Then they find a trunk with some guns in it. A shootout occurs. Dexter lives. The newspaper reads, Police Chief declared savior of the 80s city. Is that the end? (laughs) See, Kelly Wand, that's how you entertain poltroons. Thanks, Tom. I also wish to sheepishly announce that Harrison Ford is a better actor than Dwayne Johnson. Not sure what I was thinking, although I still think Mr. Johnson would make a decent Chewbacca and or Admiral Ozil. Well, I'm bored. This is math critic Tom Chick saying, see you all at the arcade. I'm really, I'm so pleased that Tom finally came out for Harrison Ford. I'm so happy that you could facilitate that, Kelly. Thank you. Uh, He just fell uh, out the window, but he's giving me a thumb or finger up. So he's fine. He wrote this. (laughs) <laughs> He's throwing the thumb up from the end of uh, the guest, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that was a, a minor wind guard. <laughs> oh, uh, man, that was so pleasing. I didn't know what the heck you were going to do, but I'm so pleased that you did that. It's what you least suspect, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, you always get me. But Tom gets credit for the. Yeah, all right. Full credit to Tom. He wrote a he wrote a hell of a synopsis. Well, synopsis. Plus, he made us see the movie. He sort of mandated this movie on us and told us to pick which characters we are. And I still, honestly, I get which one you are, but I don't know which one he is and which one I am. All right. Well, uh, which, which one am I? You're Dexter. You're the family man. All right. Did you know? Let me ask you this, because uh, I'm sure he said this to us, and I don't remember this, and, uh, and I'm sure it's on the poster, and you've watched a thousand trailers. Uh, I had no idea that was Michael C. Hall until a good several mo- mo- minutes into the movie. Did you? Uh, I did because I think it was in the opening credits of the movie. Uh, I, I really which is I, also a spoiler, technically. But well, I you know I'm so stupid that I wasn't even paying attention to the opening credits enough to know what the the uh, what the setting or the. Um, time period was so i spent a lot of the movie figuring out well gee where are we in time and the second time i watched it it was like oh it says it right there east texas 1989 boom boom you idiot and i spent the whole time going oh that's station wagon that's a microwave that's a weird cell phone okay uh and i had no idea what'd you say i said i missed a mark twain quote last week to make sure Mm -hmm. about Okay, that but also marginally better. But it's very clear. It's it's right there, East Texas, nineteen eighty nine, and I had no clue as I watched the movie, which kind of makes the movie kind of pleasurable because of uh, the certain things I felt about the movie. Um, but there 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 were like little clues I was looking at of like where is this, how is this movie set, uh, what's going on here, what's the music about, what's going on. But uh, the the fact that I missed the setting of the movie makes. Uh, it, I'm absolutely not surprised that I missed if Michael C. Hall's m- name appears at the beginning. So I had no idea it was him. I had no idea until a very, uh, until a few minutes in. I mean, he's uh, he's he's put on a little a few pounds, which is fine with me. Um, but I had no idea that it was him. He's a very hard face for me to miss, though, because I watched all of Six Feet Under and five and a half seasons of Dexter, and he's pretty. He's hard for me to mix up with other actors, I guess. So the second I saw him with a mustache, I kind of knew it was still him. While well, Sam Shepard to me looks kind of like Michael Rooker. Like, if you put them both in that role, I probably wouldn't be able to tell them apart if they got their haircuts or what. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure like I Like, could... Don Johnson, you never, you would never mistake for anybody else. Like, Philip uh, Michael Thomas. 
I'm pretty like the thought it's really very distinctive i don't know i'm pretty sure you're the only person in the history of mankind who can't recognize sam shepherd and uh, and unless they think that it's going to be sam elliott because i don't know who did you think it was other than sam shepherd who did you well i haven't seen him in a while i haven't seen him since uh that movie with kira sedgwick like sometimes men cry whatever it's called Sometimes you got to give. <laughs> it's what it's a phrase. It's like a chestnut. The title of the movie. I don't know. I have no idea. No. What you're about. But but uh, anyway. Yes, uh, I knew it's Michael C. Hall. In answer to your question. All right. Well, I had no idea. I thought he was really uh, but, good. But yeah. moving away from Michael Michael C. Hall, let's let's just let's say off the top how we felt about this movie. Last week I made you go first. Uh, I'll go ahead and go first and say that I freaking love this movie beyond all reason um i think it's it's amazing uh, i think that uh casting sam shepherd is uh, an inspired choice because i think it has a uh, has the feel of so much of what he writes and it, it it falls perfectly somewhere between what he writes and what shakespeare writes and yeah i'll say that i think cold in july is utterly brilliant and i'm absolutely crazy about it um and uh i should have said that early before i said the spoiler thing that i hope people will um watch the movie before they listen to this but uh but i I didn't really have a beat on where you were yet so uh that's where i'm gonna go i'm crazy about it so now it's up to you kelly to say where you feel i really liked it too and i think it's because of what you said like it has that sense of place where i think the fact that it is taking place in East Texas in the 80s makes a lot of it work, I think. Because that's sort of like that state where you have a code about masculinity and stuff in that time. Oh. Yeah. So I think people changing their motivations, which is what this movie's about. It's kind of like The Searchers a little bit, too. Not that that's a Texas movie, but just about evolving motives. Um, I think. Maybe the one thing I don't like about it, I guess I, I don't know. I just operate off negative energy a lot, so I always try to find things even when I like like the thing that, like the weak link, like just what I would do. So I just feel like Don Johnson's maybe, I was more curious about his character than we got to see him. Like he comes in really late. It's a Michael C. Hall movie, basically. Um, and I think it's one of some of his best work. I'm try, I was trying to think of other movies I'd seen him in. The only one I could think of was Gamer with Gerard Butler. Ugh. What? There's a lot of dancing in it, but he was—he's really good on Dexter, and he's really good on Six Feet Under. And he—I still think this was like my favorite thing he was in. He shows a lot of range. I like movies where people start as one type of character and turn into something else by the end of the movie, like Godfather Two. Wait, you no, know, Godfather One. I guess Two is the same. You know well, yeah, <laughs> I'm really. You know, you know, of all the things, and I, and I wrote for pages on this movie because I'm so nuts about it, but I never landed on something about the Searchers, which is kind of a beautiful thing to say. Because it was a John Wayne movie too, so it's the last movie where you'd expect something that kind of subtext. And yeah, like you're hunting for a girl who's captive because you want to save her, but then you want to kill her because she's been defiled. Um. I don't know. It's a little similar. I'm more... I don't know how much Lansdale you've read. I'm not sure how much Tom's read either. Well, I, you know, I, I can't... I, I think Tom's read a fair amount, and uh, I have read none, which uh, you know, I wish I, I wish I would have had time to do that. Uh, I, re- I'm, I mean that sincerely, but how much have you read? Uh, I've read a really great book of short stories called High Cotton, and another one called Bumper Crop, and a book called The Bottoms... That I remember really liking, but I can't remember because it was I read like Jack Ketchum right before it, and they kind of blended in my head. The oh, okay, okay. Um, well, which one is Killer Joe based on? I've read that one. Is that is that Joe Lansdale or Hank Ketchum? I can't remember. Anyway, uh, but uh, but of Joe Lans, I mean, what do you think of him? Killer Joe is not. It's neither. That's a play, wasn't it? Uh, maybe it was. Let me get back to you on that thing. That's a good All right, question. don't worry about it. But just, uh, but as far as Joe Lansdale is, I mean, you didn't read this particular thing, did you? 
No, but I felt his flavor. He has a very Texas flavor. Yeah. Um, and uh, it made me want to read the source material. Well, wait, this was a script, though, wasn't it? No, it was a novel, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was a Joe Lanzell novel, and it was <laughs> it was something that that um, that uh, Nick Dimitri, I think, is his name. Um, adapted for this and he's the guy who plays the cop in this movie by the way um have you ever seen any other so so jim jim mickle is the guy who directed it have you ever have did you ever by any chance watch his mulberry his movie mulberry street no what's that all right well it's this thing and the only reason i i uh it it sort of cropped up when tom talked about uh, uh, you know, like it's called July. It's this thing, Jim Mickle, and then that sort of like sparked something in my brain. And I remember that he had said he had written something or other about Mulberry Street. So I went like looking around for it and went ahead and watched it. And it's this weird sort of um, in the in the zombie genre movie. Uh, and you and you see like in uh, Cold in July, they're at they're out, and you see uh, uh, Night of Living Dead. I think it is like on the in the drive-in or something. Right. Right. Right, so he's clearly got that in mind. Um, I haven't seen the other things that he's that he's done. They're they're sort of uh, low budget horror, and Mulberry Street is very much a low budget horror, but it's got a lot of things to recommend it. And I couldn't remember why I remembered it. And then you know, this is October last year. This October, uh, Tom and a couple other guys, I think Chris Hornbostel and a couple other guys, did this uh, like thirty days of horror thing from the 70s on um and uh mulberry street was one of the movies i think they did then um i don't don't remember exactly reading it uh, but i remember tom having written about it so i went ahead and watched it again this week and it's this really great low budget movie about uh and nick dimici who's the cop in cold in july plays the sheriff no no he plays the sheriff here but he he plays this this uh amateur boxer Who's, who is stuck in uh, in Manhattan during this outbreak of uh, this rat illness that turns people into rat people, basically. <laughs> it's really, really well done. Uh, what? Uh, it, it, I know, it's, it's weird to, to talk about it like that, but it's this really well done, low-budget horror movie. Um, and I, I don't have a lot of... Um, I don't know how to put it. Uh, I don't have a lot of experience with that kind of thing. I don't have a lot of uh, chops with it. it. I have a lot of. What'd you say? But it worked for you. Like it's. Oh, it it worked. It worked really well for me because it's it's got so much good stuff in it. The uh, a couple of the actors are really good in it. There's a lot of really good stylistic stuff in it, and then then it's got this interesting choice about the, the 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 soldier coming home. I mean, there's so many interesting things that are going on in the movie. Um, so uh, Mulberry Street is definitely something that I would recommend you see at some point. Um, yeah. But but that's Jim Mickle, and Nick Dimitri's in it, and he wrote it too, and then he wrote this movie, and he's in it as well as the cop, the main cop who, who sits him down and says, you know, who, who calms him down, and then he's the guy with a hat who goes throughout the movie. Uh, so I just wasn't sure where you were with with uh, Lansdale or with this director stuff. Uh, I'm more acquainted now. I don't think Killer Joe has a Lansdale connection, though. I think it's just Texas right. Gothic. All right, so, so I'm totally off base with that. I don't know where I was going. Or I'm wrong. No, no. Confused. But, uh, yeah, Joe Lansdale, I think, is one of the authors I would recommend to you, actually, that right. Tom would say that I should recommend to you. Well, um, as far as okay, so let me get us back on Cold in July then, because uh, again, oh yeah, I was gonna say I really like the action in Cold in July too. Well, what do you mean? It seemed to evolve naturally and suddenly every time. I thought that was good. Um, yeah, I really love that too. One of the things I really loved about it is that weird. Uh, this weird thing that happens early on and from the very beginning is this weird sort of the way that opening it's not even I don't know if you could even call it an action sequence when he when he you know when his finger slips and he accidentally shoots the intruder um, is the way that all that noise happens like the creaking of the floor and the way that the the way that everybody's just sort of moaning and grunting it's almost like nobody's speaking it's just the weird noises that happen 
and then all that hap- all that goes on. We have the whole police procedural thing, and then we go to this weird sequence where they're cleaning up. Yeah, that, I just think that is such a. There's two cleaning up sequences in this movie, and that first thing where where the where where um where Michael C. Hall and his wife are cleaning up the house pragmatically. Up, kind of. Yeah, I mean I've never seen that. Have you ever seen that before? No. They had really cool looks on their faces. Like, yeah. yeah, it's so weird. Their looks on their face. I'm so glad. It's so weird. I mean, and that's seen, how. Go ahead. Well, that's how his character is throughout the movie. Like for the rest of the movie, he's he's doing right by that gunshot. Like he, everything else that happens in the movie happens as a result of him doing that. And so it's still like he's cleaning up the blood for the rest of the movie. Oh, I didn't even think about that. I like that you said that. Holy Which is an '80s thing because, like, you compare that. This is probably the the dumb thing that I would probably get in trouble for saying. But it's like you look at like Ferguson or what's his name in Florida, um, like vigilante justice, and they're just trying to like weasel off of it, like weasel out of the hook, as opposed to like your marker who's like, okay, that's the gunshot that I took, so I have to like know like everything that happened. I like sort of taking responsibility for it. Oh wow. I really like that you said that. Um, I didn't even think about that when you when you talked about eighties. You exactly. kind of branched me off on something I want else I want to talk about, but I want to focus on what you just said because um, what I was, yeah, it's about taking responsibility. Like the dad takes responsibility. Don yeah. Johnson owes his friend who because you know, they were in Korea together, which is kind of a cheesy line, but I kind of bought it. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. They just taken different tracks once they got back. I don't know. It's the kind of movie that they used to make back in the eighties, and now they don't really make. Like it has to exist as a period piece, which you know. Well, that's what I want to ask you. I mean, what do you think about this? Because as I watched it, and as I heard the music, like started throbbing through at certain points, I started wondering about this as a period piece, like sort of cast against the guest as a period piece, and how I felt about the guest, and how I talked about that as like. a send up or an or an homage or whatever. I think it's more of an homage. And this is a period piece. Um, I mean, well, in the eighties were a more cynical decade for how you felt about. Well, now I don't know. I guess I was gonna make an even dumber point. That was like this movie takes place before the media, so like they're cleaning up blood. Like there's not a bunch of press surrounding their their house. Like there's no. They're not really. It's not that kind of movie. It's not like a media circus kind of movie. Right, right. Like, oh, you killed an unarmed... Like, that whole angle's... Like, there's nothing about courtrooms. Instead, it's just taken for granted that the, that they're trying to get rid of this guy and, ch- and switch the bodies in a small town because yeah, it's right. convenient. Um, but you but can totally like the- imagine that, that sort of uh, image of, like, a mom cleaning up the blood from... I mean, I've seen it in a lot of movies, a mom cleaning up the blood of her kid who's been killed. Uh, but I've never seen this before. You mean as a family, like as a family activity? Well, like they're cleaning up their own crime scene. I mean, he killed yeah. someone, and he's cleaning it up. I mean, it reminds like, me a little bit of the of that of those first episodes of the television show Fargo, where he has to figure out who's going to clean up this mess. Yeah. Well, and, there's also the angle of it being a crime scene, and yet, is it a plot point that they're cleaning up the blood sooner than they would have if it had been an authentic crime scene as opposed to something that was going to get covered up? Right. But I think that plays into the time period. Right. Because if, if you saw something right... if if, if It's before DNA right, evidence, wasn't it? Right, 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 yeah. Or or at least before it were... It, before <laughs> there were so, so many crime shows that would have made that impossible. Yeah. Because it seems like they go, go home that night and clean it up, and that sequence is just fascinating to me. And then later yeah. on, there's a there's a callback cleaning sequence where he's cleaning up after the cops have come in. Um, there's these two weird cleanup sequences that I just I just love how 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 much time they spend doing that, and how he's like how they're cleaning up and how they do it, and how he pours the bucket of blood and water into the toilet. Yeah, and that's what people used to do before. Dudes in hazmat suits came in. I would guess so. Makes it interesting. It's kind of like how Jack the Ripper is like right before forensics got sophisticated. So it's like that's how he got off. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I 
just declined. And how it's like there used to be. You should really stop apologizing for the things you say because you're saying things that are really cool. By the way, well, I was going to keep going backwards, and then it started seeming dumber to me. Like before, cops, man, you just had to like solve the murders yourself when you like shot someone with a crossbow on your ranch. What were you going to say? Just keep saying stupid shit like that. <laughs> no, that's what I was <laughs> I'm solving murders, Dingus. Uh, yeah, keep saying because somebody, somebody's got to do it. Uh, what I was going to ask you is that, and and I'm totally, I just, uh, I'm, I kind of got stuck on this heart, sort of idea of, uh, there's this moment where, um, I guess it's when um, when Michael C. Hall's character goes to the uh, grave side, uh, or to the cemetery, and he's watching the burial, and that's when Sam Shepard's character is introduced, um, and the music seems to sort of ramp up at that point where I started thinking about the guest, and then. Uh, Michael C. Hall and his family wind up in the in the restaurant, and there's this weird exchange between him and his wife, where he's like, uh, "What should we do? Uh, should we stay at your mom's? What if we go to your dad's cabin? I say we stay home." And there's this weird sort of stacking up that goes along, where it feels like they're like setting up tropes and knocking them down. Where I wonder if this movie is. I, I don't know where it sits. Where it's where yeah, it's doing I think, an it's or, I think yeah. what you said about well, go ahead. Well, I just think it's intentionally disorienting. Like, I think that's where it gets a lot of its power. Because we think it's going to be a home invasion movie at that point. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's playing off our expectations of that. Um, and it keeps doing it. It keeps that up for the whole movie, which is kind of impressive. Because yeah. even by the third act, you go, okay, it's just going to be, it's going to be, a, it's them, it's unlikely allies teaming up to get the thing. And then it, it kind of spins again, even from there, I think. It's a movie I don't want to talk about. It's I'm reluctant to get into Opsis, notwithstanding like twists and stuff, because I I was really enamored of of the craft that went into it fucking with me <laughs> as I watched. Because even uh, Don Dodson, you go, oh, it's going to be that kind of a movie. But oh, which which one? Okay, so Tom said which each of us is a character from. <laughs> Am I Don Johnson or am I Sam Shepard at his thing? Because I think I'm Don Johnson. I think you are too, because uh, <laughs> which makes um, him Sam Shepard because he's theater or because he can fight? Can Tom fight? Is that what he's saying? I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure what he's thinking, but I think you are Don Johnson, and this is why I think that. Um, because at first, uh, when Don Johnson shows up, I'm so happy to see him. And this has been true since the other woman. Um, <laughs> That's when you first started being happy to see me. No, uh, I've always don't, been don't, happy to see you, Kelly Wand. But there's w- this weird thing that happened, and I wrote this in my notes, and this does not have anything to do with you, but when Don Johnson shows up... He gets K-Napped I, I just kind of felt like, well, I'm so happy to see Don Johnson, but he's really ruined the tone of the movie. He's made it too light. <laughs> has he? Uh, well, other or this movie? No, this movie. When uh, he... When he first shows up and he's cracking jokes and he's like being his Don Johnson like smiley character and yeah. uh, I'm so crazy about uh, Harley Davidson Marlboro Man now yeah. that we've rediscovered it that I'm happy to see him again. I'm so happy that he's working again. I love that guy. But I, I was so happy with where the tone of this movie was going that when Don Johnson showed up, I was like, oh, great, Don Johnson's here. Oh, now we're going to be silly. Uh, so yeah, I'm I, really disappointed. But – go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I sort of agree with that, but then I liked a. I, I considered it as you know, like another joint in the misdirection thing. Like, oh, it's going to be a light movie with Don Johnson doing wisecracks, and then it and then it bends again. But I also liked how Don Johnson fought a lot. Like he kicks that dude in the face in the driveway. I liked. <laughs> well, that, that, you just you just nailed it. It's just this whole thing where where it bends. Just, it bends right back because yeah. he makes it light, and I think, oh, well, we've ruined it now. Okay, now we're in a happy, weird, goofy movie. And then we get to the point where Don Johnson is the one who has to put the tape in the VCR. Uh-huh. And he's the one who has to say, we, oh, no, no, Haas. Don't, you know, I think he says, do yourself a favor, Haas. You know, he's telling his friend, don't look at that. And he's the one who puts the gun in his friend's ear. I mean, he's the, he's the guy you think is going to be like, ha ha, I'm the light, I'm the light guy, I'm only joking, but 
he's the one who really lends gravity to the mm-hmm. whole thing because of his reaction to what is actually going on. And when you see Don Johnson's reaction to that tape, that's when you were like, oh, that's why they did that. Oh, man. And you're, it's just your chest kind of like goes, oh. Um, and so, I, you know, that's that moment where Kelly Wan comes in and he comes in and he's like, oh, he's funny. He's kind of like, uh, duh, duh, duh. and then he says something like so profound or he does this opsis that makes you just go, oh, man, that's awesome. Where you realize, oh, man, he's the weight. So, yeah. Then he gets shot. Oh, man. Why'd you have to bring the room down? No, I'm talking about myself. Exactly. No, I. Yeah, right. That's what I was thinking, too. Thank God I'm here. Thank God my right. characters arrived in the movie finally. Yeah. Thank God the voice of reason is here to hold guts to people's heads. So, uh, so Dom will have to say otherwise. But uh, until then, I'm the I'm the dude who has to ride in the middle seat, which is also known, according to uh, No Country for Old Men, as riding bitch. And uh, and you're driving the car, and uh, and Tom has to take everybody down. So there we go. So we'll see what Tom has to say about that later on. Uh, you get for now, girl. what'd you say? You get the girl. Uh, what? I don't know. I don't get it. You go home. They're out. They're off out on the range, next to the next. Don Johnson's got a stomach. I'm what? the totally ineffectual guy whose finger slipped. I mean, that's he's like your daddy. You'll, your dad will be proud of you. And like for what? My finger slipped. I mean, and then he tags along to go. Let me help. Come on, that's cool. Yeah, that's whatever. Cool. Don't try to make Don me feel better, Mister. All right. Fair point. All right. So. uh Usually, uh, when we get to this point, we'd hear some uh, wacky music. We're going to do that now. But I will, at this point, introduce uh, what I think might be a new segment going forward. Um, uh, Some people have missed the fact that we're not doing a 3x3 anymore. Uh, We're not going to do it until Tom gets back because there's three people doing a 3x3. That makes perfect sense. Uh, And we don't want to exhaust the limited number of 3x3 topics that are in the universe. Um, a couple of people have given a cu- us a couple of ideas. Uh, here's one idea that, uh, that, that I came up with today. Um, not sure how it's going to work, uh, but let's see what, it, what happens with it. So the idea is, is for us to have like a mini movie club. Um, uh, in fact, I called it. The, did you just laugh? No, I was, I was admiring it from, <laughs> Thank you like, so through, binoc- through my opera glasses. All right. Very well done. Uh, um, mini so movie club. Mini movie club. I know it, it's a terrible. I, I, I'm I'm relying upon uh, much better uh, titlers like uh, Kelly Wan and Tom to come up with better ideas, or even our listeners. Um, so this is mini movie club. So the idea is this: uh, we watched a movie this week called Cold in July. Um, it made me think of another movie I saw many years ago that I have not seen in a very long time, but I could not watch this week. Uh, and I wonder if it's related to this movie, where what what its points of connection are, intersection, whatever. But I couldn't watch it this week, so I couldn't bring it up. So rather than us just give you watch this, not that recommendations at the end, what I would like to do is this. Um, I'm going to mention this movie that I saw. Uh, over the next week, this is a movie from, and I hope we'll do this every week. We might not. We'll see. Uh, over the next week, try to see this movie. Something you can rent easily. It's been out for many years. Um, it's a really good movie. And in fact, one of the characters in this movie, his voice reminded me of the guy who wrote this movie. And I think he might have directed it. Again, I haven't seen this movie for many years. So over the course of this week, try to watch it. And send us in at uh, 3x3 at quarter3.com. Send us in like um, a three-sentence review of, of this movie as you see it. Uh, we'll read those reviews on the air. Uh, Kelly and I will talk about what we thought about the movie if both of us have a chance to view it, which we should. Um, but it's just a movie that you'll be able to rent. And I think we'll do this every week based on the movie we just watched, and we'll talk about it next week. That way, I know there are a lot of people who skip the movie we're doing and skip directly to the 3x3. This will give them something something to skip to every week. So this is the Quarter 3 Mini Movie Club and this week's movie is called One False Move. Oh, I was going to say that is my over-under over. Ah, that's a, okay, that's so weird. Uh, well, I'm glad you thought of that. That is, that is a segment we will introduce next week. Yeah, Carl, Carl Franklin. Oh, did he direct it? He directed it, Bill Paxson's obviously on it. 
Uh, yeah, I love and, that. Billy, and Billy Bob Thornton, that's one of the first right. things you know. And yes. there's a moment where Michael C. Hall is talking in this in uh, Cold in July, where I thought, gosh, he sounds so much like Billy Bob Thornton in this scene. It's so weird. And uh, and then later, when I was writing about the movie, I thought of One False Move. So if you can, over the course of the next week, watch One False Move again. And then we'll talk about that a little bit at the end of next week's podcast. We might talk about Cold in July as well at that point. We won't give any spoilers for cold in july at that point but we'll talk about one false move you write in with your ideas of what false one false move is about what your thoughts are what you thought what you thought of it your review of it uh, and we'll read those on the air so what are your thoughts kelly i guess well since i've seen the movie already it's easy to commit to but i thought okay so wait you pick the movie every week right no 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 next week you get to pick so after we see next week's movie which is (laughs) <laughs> Kelly Wand, do you know what movie we are seeing next week? Are you aware of what movie we are seeing next week? Uh, the title has the phrase, uh, in it. I know that. <laughs> yes, it does. It is Dracula Untold. So next week, Untold. Please, please, please join us for Dracula Untold. Uh, and at which time Kelly Wand, after we have done the uh, the uh, podcast for Dracula Untold in its entirety, Kelly Wand will give you a movie to see the next week that he wants you to watch after having seen Dracula Untold. What if it's the same movie? Just because well, I want to spare him. Well, then, uh, if you want to spare him, then uh, you can't do that. No, there's, right, right, there's right, a ton right. of things. Of vampires. Okay, Twilight uh, uh, Kingdom. How dare you? Oh, wait, I have to do it next week. I mean, get to do it next week. Afterwards. But I have to know beforehand. But I have to see the other movie, too. So I have to see two movies now. But I'm only upsizing uh, Untold. You're, you're upsizing Dracula Untold next week. And then you will also have an idea of a movie that you would like them to watch for the following week. That what has my- something... What'd you say? Well, what if my choice is always one false move? <laughs> Then we will. Then this will be the most comprehensive one false move podcast on the internet. Because Bill Paxson's a vampire in Near Dark, and that's kind of the end of that theory. <laughs> well, why don't you put her in charge? Oh, too soon. I also like the Lansdale movie Bubba Hotep because it's about relationships. All you got to do is be normal. Ugh.